Well, hey, everybody. It's good to see all of y'all back. It's really good to actually feel like everybody's back in town. Um, It feels like it's been forever since we've had any sort of consistency. I don't know if I'm the only person that feels that way, but I was gone the first week of November, and then the second week of November was finals week, and then y'all were gone for like forever, literally three weeks, and y'all got back and we had a few weeks and you were gone again, and so I'm glad to finally have some sort of consistency where we're going to see each other for the next several weeks, um, which will allow us actually to do a series of, of any sort of length. And so, you know, I'm just excited to have everybody back around tonight. Um, a few weeks ago, I had somebody who'd been around a little bit asking my name, and I realized oftentimes I don't say my name. So if I haven't gotten to meet you yet, my name is Merrick. I would love to get to meet you. I'm the college pastor here. My wife's name is Emily, and uh, we would love to get to meet you and get to know you. And we're excited that you're here. If it's your first time, we're really excited you decided to come and be a part of our service tonight. So we're beginning a new series starting tonight. And the series is called Unfiltered. The struggle is real. And I think really as every year, January, February, we do more of a topical study. One of the things that I look at is in the fall, I like to teach through a book. And then in the December, we we usually talk about something regarding Christmas. And then during January, February, I like to really think about and really pray specifically, Lord, what is something that, that I see people around me are struggling with? Or, or, or what is something that I can help um, answer for them or whatever? And so a few years ago, we did a tough question series where I polled the crowd and said, okay, what are some questions y'all really want to hear answered? And then uh, last year, we did a misconception series. What are some things that we think maybe are true, but really they're not? We have a misconception about them. And, and as I was thinking and praying about this year, for some reason, this idea of being unfiltered just kept coming up. Y'all, we live in, in a world, really, that, that has filters up all the time. We put filters up all the time. And, and really, it's interesting because, you know, this generation and even my generation, millennials and iGen or, or Gen Z, whatever they end up calling y'all, um, we're known for people that, that can sniff out people who aren't authentic, Right? We're, if somebody's not real, we can, we can see that very quickly. We value people that are going to be authentic, but at the same time, we struggle with actually being fake at times, right? You know, like, I don't, I don't know anybody that really wears their true self on their sleeve. We, we don't want people to know where we're really at oftentimes. And so really, as we go through this series, we're just going to talk about if we could just take the filters off, what are things we all struggle with? Maybe we wouldn't come forward and say, hey, I struggle with that, but what are things that all of us struggle with? We'll talk about the the image struggle. We'll talk about the idolatry struggle. We'll talk about relationships, dating, sex struggle. We'll talk about these things that oftentimes we don't really want to come out and say it, but we're struggling and we don't know who to to talk to or or who to ask questions about this. And so we're going to be looking through them uh, for the next several weeks and possibly even into March, the beginning of the spring quarter. And so tonight we're going to be looking at specifically the faith struggle, the faith struggle. And now really, I think this is, this is the start of it. I know a lot of people, if you've come tonight, I'm guessing in some way you're interested in about Christianity. You know, for many, if not most of you, you've grown up in or around church or, or you've been around church a good bit. And even if you've attempted to live for Christ or attempted to, to grow in your faith, it's been a struggle. For you who'd say, you know what, you've been around a lot. If you're on the leadership team, if you're me, there are times where if you're honest, you maybe don't want people to see this, but you're struggling. You know, I think it's okay sometimes to be able to say, hey, I'm struggling in my faith. I need help. And this is what I want to look at tonight. 
Um, it's just this idea that all of us at some point struggle to grow in our faith. All of us at some point struggle with being apathetic towards our faith. All of us at some point struggle at living out our faith. And if we take the filter off, all of us would be able to say we either have struggled here or most likely are struggling in some way here. So that's the topic for tonight. Um, is how do we break out of this funk and grow in our faith? So if you have a Bible with you, and I hope you do, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to do something a little bit different tonight. I'm going to look a little bit at Hebrews 11, a little bit at Hebrews 10, a little bit at Hebrews 12. So we're going to kind of be jumping around a little bit. Um, but I think it's going to make the point well. And just so you know, as we go in, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask three basic questions. You know, what is faith? What really is faith? And then I want to ask, how do we grow in our faith? And then I want to give us one last thought. What is the common characteristic of people who grow in their faith? If you look throughout this passage, there's something common that is throughout that is the distinguishing characteristic of those who grow in their faith. And then we're going to end with a minor blueprint that'll be kind of the the bow on it at the end. So the first question we're going to answer is this. What is is faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It's been read often. It's read a lot. It gives us a concise definition. Now, faith is this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and it's the conviction of things not seen. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and it's the conviction of things not seen. You know, it's funny. Even as he defines faith, We're kind of going, okay, so I'm not exactly sure what that means. So notice that there's a present and a future nature to faith. It's an assurance now, a confidence now in something in the future. Assurance of what we hoped for. And then it's a conviction. It's a current conviction that I believe this to be true of things that I haven't seen. I love how Chuck Swindoll uh, really gives a concise definition of how he sees this. Faith is confidence in God. It's a firm conviction that what he says is true and what he promises he will do. Faith is confidence in God. It's a firm conviction that what he says is true and that what he promises he will do. I want you to look real quick down a few verses at verse 6. I think verse 6 actually helps us understand what is faith. Verse 6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him, to please God, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Must believe that he exists. Conviction of things not seen. So look, even though we haven't seen God personally, Scripture even says that. No one has ever seen God. That's 1 John 4. But the truth is this. The Bible is is very clear that that we can tell that God is real, one, by his creation. Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Y'all, creation really proclaims, it screams of a creator. It's a conviction of things not seen. Secondly, he says what? First, faith is it's for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And secondly, that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. Assurance of something hoped for. In other words, it's this idea, I'm assured that if I live for Christ, he will reward me in the end. Assurance of things hoped for. Basically, faith affects what we believe, but faith also changes the way that we live. Y'all, we struggle with this so often. 
of, of saying we maybe have faith in something, but our life looks very different. Biblical faith is your mouth confesses the same thing that your life confesses. And y'all get what I'm saying there? I used to always joke about this. If you ask somebody, especially, I was a basketball guy, so I used to always, if you ever talk to a guy about basketball, they would always be really, really good, right? Like, oh man, yeah, I played ball, I did this, I whatever, you see my J's, my whatever, you know, whatever it is. And then sometimes you get out there and you're like, dude, I don't think you've ever touched a basketball in your life. Just being honest, personal opinion. You know, sometimes we say something, but our lives don't really back it up. And faith is what we believe, but it also changes the way that we live. You know, what I see with faith, though, is it's a lot like love. It can be really difficult to define love. If I were to say define love, you can maybe define it, but you know what's better? It's better to show it, right? And faith is the same way. We can define faith, but even you come away from a definition of faith at times, and you're like, okay, I'm still not sure what that really looks like, and that's Hebrews chapter 11. We're not going to read it all tonight, but it's literally the hall of faith. And in it, it just gives example after example of this is what faith looks like. Faith obeys God, even though he doesn't see what God has here. Faith acts. Faith moves. Faith trusts. Faith believes and has a conviction that God is who he says he is, that he's done what he says he did, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Faith acts. And this is the first thing that we see regarding faith or that I want y'all to see. What is faith? It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It affects what we believe, but it also affects how we live. So how do we grow in faith? Which is the second question. How do we grow in faith? Well, the answer is actually pretty clear. In order to grow in faith, we must live by faith. In other words, we must live by what we say we believe. We must exercise our faith. You know, anytime the new year comes around, we always talk about resolutions. A lot of people talk about resolutions. And it seems that one of the primary resolutions that people will talk about is exercise, right? I know people that have gym memberships, and I've heard them say numerous times, it's incredible how many memberships we get in January. And it's funny that we have the same amount of people that worked out in December as we do the beginning of February. But it's really, really great for us because we get a bunch of more people that get a gym membership. You see, people, whenever they want to exercise well, they're told you need to get a plan. Sometimes you need to get a trainer. Sometimes you need to join a gym. Sometimes you need to join a specialized group like CrossFit or something like that. But the main problem is people usually miss the main ingredient of that, and that's you actually have to go and do something, right? It doesn't matter how good the plan is. It doesn't matter if you talk to your trainer on the phone every single day. It doesn't matter if you're a part of the best gym or the most prestigious gym. You actually have to go and do something. And y'all, our faith is similar. It's very similar to a muscle. You have to work in your faith. And as you work out your faith, you will grow in your faith. As you live by faith, you will grow in your faith. Y'all, so many of us can be frustrated with, with Christianity or with faith or with the Bible or whatever, but we never actually seek to put it into practice or to apply it or to live by faith. And therefore, our faith is never going to grow if we don't do that. Yes, we should read God's word. Yes, we must pray. Yes, we should be involved in a church. But faith is demonstrated by what we do with those things, by the way that we live. Once again, Hebrews 11, the whole thing is is walking through with examples. Abraham, though he didn't know where God was going to send him, God said, go, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And he went. Moses, instead instead of indulging in the pleasures that were in Egypt, he left. 
And then he came back and, and God used him through faith to do miraculous things. If y'all know me at all, Moses is my guy. I love the dude. He does all kinds of crazy things. And these are men and women, all of Hebrews 11, who've acted on their faith. And because of this, they were approved by God. They were approved by God. Romans 1.16, a, a famous passage. Paul is talking. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And later on in that, verse 17, he simply says this. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. I want you to read, I want to read this to you from an article I read this week. In it, the guy said, the thing that characterizes the righteous person above all else is an abiding trust in God and his promises. Hear this, this, this statement shocked me. They do not just believe in God, they believe God. Because they believe the Lord, they are faithful to him and they obey him truly, though imperfectly, out of their deep loyalty to him. Think about that. People who live by faith, they don't just believe in God, but they believe God. Yo, there's a stark difference right here, right? If you believe God, then you'll demonstrate it in the way that you live. To believe in God is, to one, is one thing, but to believe God means I'm going to live believing in what he says. I will live out my faith because I actually do believe him. And the question for us, y'all, whenever we think about growing in our faith is that, do you believe him? Do you believe what he says in his word? Do you believe what he says about, about reading his word? Do you believe what he says about the way he calls you to live? Do you believe him that it really is the best way to live, that it really is the only way to have life? And if you were to say, yes, I believe him, I would ask, what does your life say? What does your, your quiet time say? What does is, what is your, your time management say? What do your disciplines say? Y'all, if we want God to move in our life, it starts by placing our faith in him, but then living out that faith. Each day saying, God, today I'm going to walk in faith and walk by faith and apply what I know from you. I'm going to obey it. I read something this week um, in the book Chase the Line by Mark Batterson. He gives an example that I think actually is pretty weird, but it's, it's kind of neat. He talks about that in 1983, this guy named Lorne Whitehead published an article about the domino chain reaction. This guy literally um, did a bunch of different tests with dominoes. If you're not confused by that, I think there might be something wrong with you. I'm just thinking, who decided I'm going to test out domino chain reactions? That would be kind of fun. You line up thousands of dominoes and you just see what happens. It's really, really interesting. Kind of confusing at the same time. And what he says is the unique significance of White, Whitehead's research was that he discovered that a domino is capable of knocking over a domino that is one and a half times its size. Once again, I just can't imagine, can you imagine calling the domino company and saying, hey, I need a two-inch domino, a two-and-a-half-inch domino, a three-inch domino, a four-inch domino? It's kind of interesting to me, but anyway. So basically what he's saying is a two-inch domino can knock over a three-inch domino. A three-inch domino can knock over a four and a half inch domino. A four and a half inch domino can knock over a six and three quarter inch domino. And it keeps going and going and going. 
The point is that dominoes actually aren't linear. They're, they're geometric or, or they have exponential results. Basically what that means is, is the more dominoes there are, the higher and higher they can knock something over. Fairly interesting, right? What they did in his studies is he found out that if you were to do this continually, by the 18th domino, you could knock over the Leaning Tower of Pisa with the 18th domino. How big is that domino, right? <laughs> That's pretty massive. With the 23rd domino, you could knock over the Eiffel Tower. With the 29th domino, you could knock over the Empire State Building just by starting with one domino and going up by one and a half of its times or being able to knock over one and a half times the size of that domino. My whole point is this, is y'all faith is a lot like this. So often we say we want to grow. So often we, we maybe say, you know what, I want to know more about Jesus or, or I want to live more for Jesus. But if you don't exercise your faith, you never will grow. But if you do exercise your faith, you grow exponentially. And the whole point of the domino thing is it doesn't take that many dominoes for God to be doing um, or for amazing things to be done with a domino. And you know, I'm telling you, if you live your life by faith in God, the more you place your faith in him and your life reflects that, the greater and greater your faith will increase and God will use you. You know, what's crazy is there is no big formula for this. It's actually by just being simply obedient to the things he's given us. Read God's word and seek to do it. Pray to God and seek to live for him. Be involved in the local church and serve him. Live for him and seek to align all of your life to him and to his word. But I think, once again, I don't think our problem, or for people in here, I don't think any of that that I said is really new to you. And as I thought about this, I actually did a talk, I don't know if it was a year and a half ago or two years ago, of how do you rejuvenate your faith when you're struggling? And I talked a lot about this. But I don't think our struggle is that we don't know what to do. I think we do know what to do. I think our problem is doing it. And even more so, I think our problem is continually doing it. You know, as I read this this week, it's, it's a very familiar passage for me. I said, Lord, show me what, what am I missing in this? And, you know, as I looked over this, there is something that's a common characteristic for every single person that God has used greatly. And that's the third question. So what is the common mark of those who live by faith? If you were to line them up, what seems to be consistent amongst all of them? What is the common mark of those who live by faith? I can give it to you in one word. It's endurance. Endurance. I want you to think again in running terms. If you want to be a great runner, you have to have great endurance, right? Many of you know that in a few months, we're going to be going on a ski trip. And for me, I love to ski. I really enjoy it. Obviously, I've talked about it plenty of times. Um, but last March, I actually hurt my ankle. And I didn't get to do anything active for about eight months. And now I'm starting to realize that if I don't start doing something, you know, because I'm not going to let my ankle keep me from skiing, that'd be crazy. So I got to start figuring out some way, okay, I got to try and see if I can get my ankle in better shape. Even more so than that, I don't want my ankle to be okay and then literally me die because my muscles just can't handle it. So I've got this idea. Um, actually, Garrett sent me a six-week get-ready-to-ski plan. I didn't know if I should take that as a compliment or kind of a knock, like maybe saying I'm out of shape or something. But I was like, okay, I want to do this. I want to get ready to be able to ski. Well, Adam Lala, he's actually in my D group. And uh, he, I know he's been training a lot to be special forces and military. So I'm thinking, hey, why not just go and you know, try and run with Adam? 
Actually, I'm pretty sure I extended the offer to him, which was definitely a mistake. But we started running last week. And so my idea is, he goes, so how far do you want to run? I'm like, I don't know, man, 20, 30 minutes, you know, just somewhere in that range. And we start running. I have to continually say, hey, Adam, don't forget, (laughs) it's my first time back in a while. Like, bring it back a little bit. I mean, like constantly. And then finally, at one point, I said, just go. (laughs) I'll catch up. I'm going to stay with you. I promise. We ran 26 minutes. We got a little over three miles done. So I was proud of that. But then the next day, I paid for it. And then the very next day, I really paid for it. If you know anything about working out, if you think the next day's bad, just wait one more 24-hour period. That second day after is a pain, right? Well, then I know day three, if you don't run, you're literally going to turn into a vegetable, right? You're just going to be, you're just going to be sore. And so I was like, okay, I got to work my muscles out. And so Adam came over to the house and we started running. The second we started running though, I already felt fatigued. If you know anything, once again, about muscles, the second time you use them, you don't have as much power or energy as the first time right? Because they're still building up. They still have to build themselves back up. And as we're running and literally he takes off and leaves me and then comes back and then passes me. And then I finally catch up to him. And I say, look, let's just make it to the corner up there. And he's like, okay. And I said, dude, I'm not going to lie. My legs are killing me. And Adam, knowing I'm dying, says, do you know what will stop your legs from hurting? Keep running. You got to keep running. You just got to keep going. Like, don't stop after today. You have to keep running. If you don't want your legs to hurt, you have to keep running. And at the moment, if I wasn't out of breath, I might have said, thanks. Really appreciate the advice there, Captain Obvious. But y'all, sometimes the things that are so obvious to us, we miss. And I honestly want to argue that whenever it comes to faith in Christ, we miss this all the time. You're not supposed to quit because something gets hard. You're not supposed to quit because you don't feel like doing something. You're not supposed to quit. You're supposed to keep at it. The mark of anybody whom God has used greatly is endurance. They keep going. It doesn't matter how they feel. It doesn't matter what they're thinking in the moment. They go because they have faith in God, and that faith has changed them for for them to act. You know, oftentimes, maybe you have great passages of Scripture like Hebrews 11, What's before it or what's after it sometimes can be in the shadow. And what I noticed with this is, is I don't know if I've really paid much attention to what happened at the very end of chapter 10 before we get to chapter 11. Chapter 11, once again, if you haven't heard of it, it's, it's called the Hall of Faith. And literally, it's just list after list of all these great men and women whom God has used. But what I want you to see is that the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who were presently Jews and they became Christians. The joke is, is that he's writing to Hebrews about stop being a Hebrew. They're going back to their old ways. And why is he giving them the hall of faith in the first place? Why in chapter 11 is he giving them a definition of faith? What's really going on? Well, I want you to go back and I want you to look at chapter 10, verse 32 through 39, and get a little bit of context of why he's defining faith, why he just goes through a massive list of all the people who've lived by faith, And I want you to see starting in verse 32. And remember what I'm talking about, endurance. So verse 32, he says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened. In other words, whenever you understood the truth and you became a believer, what did they do? You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. 
Sounds a lot like faith, right? Putting your hope in something that you can't see yet. Doing something now in light of what you know is to come. They were enduring. Verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of what? Endurance. So that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and he will not delay. In other words, Jesus is coming back, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And the writer says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You have need of endurance. Y'all, the people here were struggling. They became followers of Jesus, and it's obvious that they began to run the race. They began to live out their faith. They began to really live and believe that, you know, we don't live for this world. We live for heaven. We live for what is right, not just what's comfortable. We live for Christ. We do whatever we have to do to live for him. We joyfully accept even our property being taken from us to be thrown in prison because of our beliefs, because we believe it to be true. But then they're starting to struggle with the what ifs. Or the, you know what, this isn't quite what I signed up for. And as they begin to struggle, it's obvious the writer is saying, you need to endure. And why does he give them this massive list of people of the faith? Because he wants to show them the examples of endurance. Even in the midst of this, I don't have it up on the screen, but if you look in Hebrews 11, verse 13, and at the very end of verse 39, he says that these great men and women of faith, they all died without receiving the things that they were promised. Because it wasn't an earthly thing they were promised. It was something in the future. It was in Christ, but it's also in life with him. And the whole point is that he's saying you must continue to endure and continue to endure and continue to endure. And y'all, if we're saying no filters, this generation, millennials and under, has zero room for endurance. We struggle with endurance. Honestly, we've been conditioned to run from anything that takes heavy work and discipline and perseverance. We've been conditioned to not wait for anything. We've been conditioned to think trials are a bad thing. If you don't believe me, then I made a list. Everything here is supposed to be instant, right? Instead of actually shopping, so imagine shopping. Instead of going and waiting in a line and enduring the suffering of the mall, right, and going shopping and having to pick something out and wait in line and do all this, you can go straight to Amazon. Instant shopping, right? Whenever it comes to watching TV, you don't have to wait anymore, right? You don't have to wait week after week or, or, or whatever it might be. All you do for a small subscription, you have Netflix and you can watch whatever show you want, however many episodes you want, how long you want to. Never comes to, to wanting to learn how to do something or if you just want to waste your time because it's a sin to be bored, right? The invention of YouTube, you know, the, the end all be all. It's still the most used app that there is. And don't get me wrong, I love YouTube as much as anybody. Never comes to music. Don't go and buy a CD. We don't even use iTunes anymore. Don't buy any music. Just pay a small fee or a small amount. You get Spotify. You get any song you want, any album you want, any music that you want. Whenever it comes to eating, don't go home and cook. I mean, college students should be saying amen to this. Don't go home and cook, right? Instead, go eat fast food. We don't know what it's made of, but we eat it anyway, right? It's instant. It's fast. I go up there. I don't even see the money that I have to pay with to get it. I just swipe a card. It's instant. 
Y'all, our lives are built on this idea of instant and instant and instant. If you want to talk to someone, send them a message. Call them. If you want to see what's going on in somebody's life, you don't even have to talk to them. Just look on their Instagram account. Right? Snapchat. Find out what's going on. We live in a culture and a world that, that honestly pushes away anything that isn't instant. It's instant everything. And guys, hear me. Apart from you being dead in your sin and in a moment you becoming alive with Christ, there is nothing instantaneous about the faith. There is nothing instantaneous about the Christian walk. There is nothing that just merely happens We will not grow if we don't do what is required to grow. We will not grow if we don't actively place our faith in the Lord and do what he calls us to do, believing that really his way is right. If we don't have an assurance of the things that are hoped for, if we don't have a conviction of even the things that we haven't seen, but the world and the word give us plenty enough to prove that God is real and he is who he says he is, if we don't live by it, then we will not grow. We won't grow. I want you to think about this. Why do you think so much of our time is spent on doing things that take no discipline? Why do you think watching TV is is so easy? It takes no discipline. Why do you think scrolling on your phone is so easy? It takes no discipline. Why do you think playing video games is so easy? It takes no discipline. While some of you might be like, I don't know. Your thumb's got to get strong. I get that. But it takes no discipline. Y'all, we're naturally bent to just go to things that are just easy. And the biggest detriment for us right now is there's so many, the easy button is everywhere. It's everywhere. And our culture is so inundated with it, and really it's only gonna be getting a lot and a lot more worse. Or worser, I guess would be the better way to put that. You wanna know just how untrained we are in discipline? I wrote this down because I was thinking about this. I was like, I know some people out there are going to be like, you're lying. I'm really disciplined at certain things. Let me explain to you things I've heard even just recently. We give ourselves a ton of credit even whenever we do minor things of discipline or show minor signs of discipline in our life. Like this. I haven't ran in forever, but I ran twice this week. What's up? I've heard that before. Like, oh, wow. Like, I'm happy. Like, you did twice this week. That's good. Let's try and work on this a little bit more. I've heard this before. You know what? It's 3 o'clock, and I literally haven't been on social media all day. And I'm like, you woke up at 10. That's a hot five hours. You were in class for, I don't know, three of those. Like, not that I'm not going to say I'm proud of you, but, but yeah, I've heard this. I made a sandwich today instead of eating out because I need to save money. So I'm, you know... Kind of, kind of trying to be organic and all that stuff now, right? I'm like, okay, that's awesome. You ate a sandwich. <laughs> you made a sandwich one time. I've heard this one plenty. I actually read a chapter of my textbook, and it's not the day before the test. I'm kind of going to be on the dean's list. Like, y'all think I'm kidding, but I know this is the way your mind works, and I've heard these before. But y'all, the problem is, is we bring this, even this mindset comes into our worship. We are too easily pleased, even whenever we show minor signs of discipline. And oddly enough, because we know little about discipline, small aspects of discipline in our lives, rather than expect them, we get puffed up with them. Imagine what were to happen if you were to go seven straight days waking up at whatever time you say. 
I'm just going to go on a limb and say 7 o'clock. I know half of you are like, yeah. (laughs) 7 o'clock. Seven days in a row, you spend 10 minutes praying. You spend 15 minutes just reading God's word and maybe writing out, you know, what's it say? I tell students, answer two questions. Read it and go, so what? God's word is supposed to be not just meant for information. It's life transformation. If I read this, I can say, so what? How does this apply now? And then now what? What am I going to do in light of this? You spend 10 minutes praying and then 15 minutes reading, and then you spend five more minutes just saying, God, help me. Help me in this. If you were to do that seven days in a row, how many of you would be like, call me Paul? How many of you would be like, I don't know what leadership team's out there, but I'm kind of going to move on up to deacon level? How many of you would go to the, come to me and be like, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I probably should be teaching a Bible study? <laughs> seven days in a row, right? And I know that it might be, I might be being a little bit ridiculous whenever I say that. But honestly, when was the last time seven days of your life were marked by diligent time in God's word and in prayer? You know, the truth is, is we know so little about discipline. But hear me, you were created to know God and to worship him. And the means by which he's granted us to do that are his word. You don't understand what a privilege it is to have this. The privilege it is to be able to say that what God says we actually have in a book. In other words, your main aim, the reason you are here is to know this and to do it. What are you called to do with your life? It's to know this and to do it. Anything else is secondary, and I mean that. What are you called to do? To know this and to do it. But y'all, and I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm going to be honest with you. This can be a struggle right? It's funny, the things that we struggle with are actually the definition of faith. The assurance of things hoped for. Sometimes I just struggle to feel like God's really moving. Well, that's part of what faith is, is the assurance. The assurance that if we live for him, once again, you get to the bottom. If anyone would draw near to God, they must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You must endure you know, in the moments whenever we're just not really sure, those aren't moments to let up. Those are moments to press on. Whenever I don't feel like reading God's word has been some of the most, honestly, the most fruitful time that I've actually spent in God's word. Because I'm honest, y'all, God knows the truth. I'll come to God's word sometimes in the morning, I'll say, God, I honestly don't feel like being here. You know why? Because I'm tired. I got three kids. If it's anything like the other night, we got up 10 times from 10 to 12, and then got up at 2 o'clock because my three-year-old was screaming, I lost my puppy, and I go in there, and both of them are in his bed, and I'm like, Ellis, go to sleep, buddy, please, and then at 5 o'clock, Abram wakes up, and he just needs a passy or a diaper changer, and then I get there, and I'm going, God, honestly, sleep just sounds much more profitable for me at this moment, but you know how you continue in that? You endure. I tell people this all the time in regards to love. You don't show love on the day you get married. That's easy. I don't show Emily love by saying, baby, don't forget what I did six and a half years ago. (laughs) Don't forget about that. You know how I show love is whenever I get home from work and I'm tired. And I've talked to 10 people in a day. And I've had this problem or this thing. And don't get me wrong, I like talking to people. I want to be a part of your lives. 
But sometimes I get home and just being honest, I don't feel like talking anymore <laughs> or listening, even more than that. I don't feel like listening anymore. But I show love to Emily by saying, I'm gonna be intentional to you because I love you. I'd rather go sit on the couch and watch TV, but I'm gonna do the dishes right now because I know you haven't had an easy day either. You don't show love whenever it's easy. You show love whenever it's difficult. And in the same way in faith, how do I really show that I have an assurance and the things hoped for and a conviction and things not seen is I live it out regardless of how I feel, regardless of how busy I am, regardless of what my schedule looks like. I say, God, you're the non-negotiable of my life. And just like a runner who's training for a marathon says, nothing's gonna get in my way, you continue to endure. Y'all, we're not called to dabble in this. And I fear that's what many of us do. We're called to devote our lives to it. Don't dabble. As a matter of fact, I think I remember I said this last year. I was reading a blog and, and somebody called this generation, generation dabble. They dabble in this and dabble in that. And they include basically anybody 35 and under. Y'all, we're called to devote our lives to knowing God's word and to doing it. And so I want to end just by giving you two things. What's the blueprint for endurance and faith? There's a lot in the passage we're going to. But I'm, not, I'm just going to graze the top. What is the blueprint for endurance in your faith? How, how does this actually work out? Well, really, it's fairly simple. It's in two things. It's in discipline and in focus. I want you to flip over to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. It's in discipline and in focus. So he just finishes the very end of 10. He's saying, you're in need of endurance. Endure, press on, keep going. And then chapter 11, this is what faith is. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. You must continue. Then he gives all these examples of, of all of this faith. And then he gets to chapter 12 and he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. In other words, all of these great men and women of the faith, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with what? Endurance. The race that is set before us. Once you look down at, at verse five, at verse five he says, have you, not for, or have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? It says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. I think I pretty much translated this passage wrong my whole life. This discipline isn't like something bad is happening to you. He's saying you endure in your faith and then God gives you the test. Gives you something to say, do you really believe in me? Do you really have faith in me? And it's this discipline that makes you grow in your faith. It's the domino effect, remember. And then you grow in your faith. As you continue to endure, you grow in your faith. You have endurance, which leads to discipline, which leads to growth. And you see verse 11, it says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. It's not fun going through the trials, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, to those who endure. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This is just a plea to endure. 
Lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. There's a lot that we can say in that. Actually, the last sermon I did, if you can actually hear on that part of it, I go into more detail. You can go listen to that of, of the misconception or, or how do we rejuvenate our faith whenever we're struggling. We talk heavily about that. But all I want to say is this, y'all, is there's constantly weights that seek to drag us down. It comes in the form of, of comfort. It comes in the form of pleasure. It comes in the form of maybe a relationship. It comes in the form of maybe your own ambition. It comes in all different forms, but these are weights that hold us back. He says, lay them off. There's also sin that holds us back. One of my favorite quotes by a guy named John Bunyan. If nothing else, I'm sure you know he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. But whenever they got his Bible later in his life and they opened it on the inside cover, it said this. It said, this word or this Bible will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the word. Which one is it going to be? The Bible will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this Bible. And what I find, y'all, is that is true in our lives. Whenever we're not living for the Lord, why would we want to come to him, right? Whenever we're not living for the Lord, whenever we know we have sin in our lives and we're not living right, it's really hard to come to God's word because all we're going to get from it is conviction, right? We have to lay aside every weight and sin and run with endurance. The race is set before us. The first thing is discipline. The second thing is we got to focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 2. He just finishes saying, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And he says, looking to Jesus. This means literally gazing at Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. And how did he do this? Who for the joy that was set before him, he did what? Endured. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Nor Grace is my, my little two-year-old girl. And the older she gets, and she's the second child, she catches on to language a lot quicker than Ellis did. I mean, she's, she's a little bit advanced in what she says, which can be good in some ways and can be bad in some ways. But also know that whenever we say things to her or to her brother, she mimics them. And that can be very telling at times. Nor, if she had her way, I would hold her 24-7. Her love language is physical touch. By far, she just wants to be held all the time. The second I get home, hold you. If I kiss Ellis, she starts crying. If I go over to Abram, she starts crying. It's just hold you. And of course, as a good dad, I hold her, right? (laughs) But it's funny, if I'm doing something, if I'm holding her and I'm talking or I'm doing something and she wants my attention, she's gotten to where she knows how to do this. She grabs my face and she goes, Daddy, look at me. (laughs) And then sometimes she just says, Stop crying. I guess we say that apparently to Ellis or somebody. Look at me. Stop crying. But look at me. And she'll do that all the time. Daddy, look at me. And y'all, I want you to hear me in this. If you want to live for Christ, if you want your faith to grow, I know this one thing is for sure. God is telling you, look at me. Look at me. Is it hard Are you growing weary? Look at him who endured better than anyone. Look at Jesus. Is your struggle against sin hard? Yeah, but but he literally gave his life 
You haven't struggled the way that he had to struggle. You haven't endured the way that he's had to endure. He's saying, look at Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. In other words, Philippians 1.6, the one who began this good work in you, he is the one that's going to see it through to completion. He's the author, the starting point. He's the perfecter. He's the one that walks with us. Look to Jesus. Y'all, the story of Hebrews is this. Jesus is greater. You start at the beginning. He says, Jesus is greater than the angels. Then he goes, Jesus is greater than Moses. He says, Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. And then what I love about this is he just finishes all of chapter 11, all these great men and women of the faith, and he doesn't say look to them. They're called the hall of faith. He's literally saying this. These great men and women of the faith are merely pictures on the wall in the hallway that leads to the throne room of Christ. They're merely just images that you walk by while keeping your eyes fixed on the one who's at the end, the author, the perfecter, Jesus Christ, who is on the throne as prophet, priest, king, as Lord and Savior of all. And he's saying, look at me. And y'all, I know in this, I thought about this a lot today. I haven't given you the five-step plan for growth. You know, I think I've done that a few times. I think a lot of times whenever I preach, I, I talk about these things. But what I want you to see is this. It's on you. With the help of people that are around you. This is why we want to be a college ministry that has small groups, that walks alongside of you to help you grow in your faith. But at the end of the day, the question is, is will you obey him? At the end of the day, the question is, is will you endure no matter what? The question is, is, is your faith really in him is your faith only in him whenever things are going okay? Whenever it doesn't require anything of you? If we have our faith in Christ, we will ultimately live for him. So the question for us is, will you discipline yourself to pursue him? If I were to ask you, how do you grow? My guess is most everybody in here would say, you got to read the Bible. You got to pray. You got to go to church. I'm like, okay, so are you doing that? If it's just that simple, are you obeying? We want to help are you enduring? And will you constantly look at Jesus no matter what? Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you so much, God, just for your word. Lord, I want to thank you that, once again, even in talking about faith and and how this really plays out, and endurance, and how this really plays out, you are the example that we're called to follow. God, you don't call us to do anything that you have not already done. You don't call us to do anything that you haven't shown us the way. And God, the question is this, do we really believe it? Do we believe in you, or do we really believe you? Do we really have faith in you, faith enough to live it out, faith enough to be obedient to you, faith enough to endure God, I pray, help us. Lord, none of us in here are perfect in this. None of us in here are at the end. This is, this is a lifelong race, and we're called to run it with endurance. God, I pray tonight, Lord, help us search our own hearts. Help us ask ourselves hard questions. Lord, help us make plans as we walk out. And help us do it all because we know our purpose is to know you and to worship you. Ask all these things, Father, in your son's holy name. Amen. As usual, y'all, I just want to ask you, how will you respond tonight?
Maybe first and foremost is this. Maybe, maybe you're not living any different. Maybe you're not growing because you've never placed your faith in Christ. You've never really truly repented of your sin and said, God, I don't want to live my way anymore. I'm going to live for you. You never really said, God, I, I don't just want to call you Savior, but I want to surrender my life, Lord. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to live for you. I don't just believe in you, but I believe you, and I'm going to live for you. If you haven't done that, that's the first step. Secondly, I would ask this, what disciplines do you know you need to do, but you just aren't? If you say, Merrick, I know I'm a follower of Christ, then my question is, is, is what do you know you're supposed to be doing that you are not doing? And my question is, why not? Why not? Is tech just that well-reached? Are you just that spiritually mature? Y'all, none of those are true. Will you discipline yourself? If you say, look, I know I'm supposed to be in the Word. Will you discipline yourself to do it? Find a plan. Uh, I'm going through a plan with a lot of my leadership team or with my leadership team and several others. If you want to be a part of that, then jump on the plan with us. It can be a chapter a day, five days a week. It's, it's nothing that's going to take forever. How are you going to start taking steps to do what you know you're supposed to be doing? You'll never be satisfied in your faith. You'll never feel like you're growing in your faith. You'll never feel like God is using you if you're not obeying Him. And then I'm gonna ask, maybe for some of you, you can say, you know what, I've done that. There have been seasons where I've really grown in my faith, but now I'm just not. My question is, will you repent and come back and say, Lord, I wanna endure, no matter what comes, no matter what happens. I wanna endure, I wanna live for you, no matter what happens. Y'all, we need accountability in this. Maybe you need to talk to a friend and say, hey, look, I know I need to be doing this. Will you hold me accountable? Maybe you should come and be a part of a small group. Maybe you come talk to me and I can help you find somebody and some people around you, but you're not called to do this alone. And y'all, the last question is I just want to ask, will you look to Jesus? Will you look to Jesus? You know, maybe just symbolically, before you do your quiet time, maybe before you go to bed, maybe you just look up and you say, God, I want my eyes to be on you. Maybe as you start your day, you just look up and you say, God, I want my gaze to be upon you today. Help me. But will you continue to look to Jesus? He gives us the blueprint of how we're called to live. We'll have some people down here if you want to respond. Maybe you want to sit there and you want to just talk to the Lord. Maybe you want to stand and you want to worship. I just want to ask you, respond however you feel led to do so.